Thrill Me. This show is part of the Thrill Me Podcast Network. Experience more on Facebook and YouTube. It's time for the Mr. Wonderful Show. Here's your host, Mr. Wonderful. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mr. Wonderful Show. So excited to be here today. We will have the Halloween Ends Review. Uh, This is probably going to be non-spoiler to start and spoiler to wrap things up because there's a lot to be said about Halloween Ends. Uh, Also, got to talk a little bit about She-Hulk in this episode of the show as that has wrapped up got some thoughts on that series and of course gonna get into some of the news of the week as well there's some teasers out some trailers dropped and one story that i definitely want to talk about as well a sequel in the works over 20 years later from a classic film in 1996. But before we get into the show, I want to remind you that you can like Throw Me Podcast Network on Facebook. You can also like the Throw Me Podcast Network and give us a follow on TikTok, on Instagram, and on YouTube where there are video episodes of this show and also where you can go to get the spoiler review with Zach and Brooke as they drop their spoiler review for Halloween Ends, a really well discussion between uh, both of them about the latest film in the Halloween franchise. And of course, Haunters Podcast, you can uh, like them as well, the other show I am a part of. On Instagram, you can give Haunters Podcast a like. Uh, Every Monday, the big Halloween Horror Nights 31 review show is out, the official rankings I want to say a big thank you again to everybody that partook in that episode. Uh, Brooke, too. My fiance was there to talk about it. Review It Rob, who dropped his latest episode of the Review It Rob show, where he talks Halloween ends as well. And Jimmy from the Horrific Network. And, of course, just Universal Things. They were unable to partake in the live recording, but they did drop their house rankings. So we were able to get their thoughts as well, although not deep thoughts, just where they ranked their houses. So with that being said, time to get into the show this week, and I want to start with uh, some of the teasers and trailers that dropped. In fact, the first one I want to talk about is the teaser for the Christmas Story sequel. Didn't really show any new footage per se. There is one shot of Peter Billingsley putting on his glasses since he is returning as Ralphie for This sequel to a Christmas classic. And yeah, that's really all we know is that Ralphie is back. It's the adult version. Uh, Peter Billingsley, who, if you don't know who that is, you definitely have seen him if you've seen a little movie called Iron Man or as well as uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, So he's the guy that gets yelled at in Iron Man. Tony Stark built this in a cave. That's Peter Billingsley. That's that's little Ralphie all grown up, but he's back. Uh, the movie is going to be called A Christmas Story Christmas, and it will hit HBO Max November 17th. Uh, the teaser, again, just kind of plays the voiceovers of some of our favorite moments from the original. I can't move my arms. I triple dog dare you. I can't feel my tongue, my tongue, you know, like stuff like that. So it plays a lot of the things that we know. Ho, ho, ho. And then we get the shot of Billingsley putting the glasses on and a little smile. And that's when we find out 
this film is going to be hitting HBO Max on November 17th, which I'm I'm surprised that we're still moving forward with this film as only a streaming release, considering all the craziness that has been going on at Discovery Plus and HBO and all of the Cartoon Network being closed down and stuff like that. I saw a lot of people talking about the Cartoon Network thing. We we didn't talk about it on on, on this show, but I do want to say... Cartoon Network going bye-bye is not the end of the world the way people are thinking it is. Everybody that's really upset about it has not been watching Cartoon Network for like the last decade plus because they're acting as if Cartoon Network has been producing new shows when really Cartoon Network has just been, we're just going to show Teen Titans go on repeat over and over again. They, they only had like three shows that were actually producing new episodes. Everything else was just, it's reruns, it's reruns, it's reruns, it's reruns. And then it's going to turn into Adult Swim. That's cool. That's that's fine. You know, the Adult Swim part of the Cartoon Network thing, I'm interested about. But as far as Cartoon Network goes, Ed, Ed, and Eddie hasn't been on since like 1999 or something like that. 2000. You know, get over it, millennials. Like, it, you have not been watching this network. And it shows. Because it's fine that it's going bye-bye. And it's probably just folding into the HBO Max thing because that's where they're going to fold a lot of things into to get the streaming numbers that they need. But yeah, this one's going to be on streaming uh, again, less than a month away from it. I'm into it, but uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to strike the lightning in the bottle with this film the way we have with other legacy sequels of late with, you know, Top Gun Maverick really set the bar so high of don't screw this up. Don't screw this up. And as much as I liked Hocus Pocus 2, it never achieved that bar of, wow, you really, there really was a, a story to be told there. Hocus Pocus 2 gets by and is enjoyable enough for me where I recommend it to people, but it's because I also separated the fact of going into films like this, I, I have a lower expectation of them. And it's all because of Dumb and Dumber 2. Really, Dumb and Dumber 2 absolutely destroyed me in the how could this fail everybody's back what could go wrong a lot went wrong with that film and that mm, has made me over the years very hesitant when we announced these sequels i was like that with top gun maverick i was unsure if i really wanted to see that when opening weekend loved it it is it's as of now still sitting somewhere in my top 10 films of the year but there are a lot of films that I have not been able to see yet, and there's still some great films to come out this year. Uh, you know, we got Black Adam coming out this weekend, which I'm not saying Black Adam's going to end up in my top 10, but it could surprise. It could surprise me. It could shock me and be that one like, oh, you know, I really wanted to have Top Gun in there, but this film came along. Uh, we also have Black, uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever coming out next month, so there's still plenty of films to come out, and then we haven't even gotten to the holiday season once we start dropping all of the Oscar bait films and the end of the year films and those Christmas movies that uh, are released to draw the entire family in, which is, you know, I know part of the banking on Black Panther 2 being released in November is hoping that it's going to linger into the Thanksgiving weekend and then when families are together, they'll go see it. You know, come on, Grandma, I got to show you this film. This is going to be my fourth time seeing it. You're first, so... Yeah, we're getting into that time of the year where some really good movies are going to be released. So 
we'll see where that ends at the end of the year. Maybe I'll invite Zach back on to do another uh, top film countdown of the year and anticipated films of the year like we did at the start of this year, back in January. So uh, Christmas story sequel on the way. I do want to mention as well, Billingsley is not the only returning cast member. You got Scott Schwartz and R.D. Robb. They're returning as Ralphie's friends, Flick and Swartz. Uh, You also have Ian Petrella. He's back as his brother, Randy. And the one I'm excited for, my Twitter pal, we follow each other. We've communicated back and forth, and he likes it anytime that you recommend him being the next Freddy Krueger, because damn it, he would make a great replacement for Robert England when they finally reboot A Nightmare on Elm Street. And that's Zach Ward. He's returning as the bully Scott Farkas. Uh, Other trailer that just dropped yesterday, the Creed 3 trailer, pitting Michael B. Jordan against Jonathan Majors. Looks very good. This is the directorial feature length directorial debut for Michael B. Jordan. Uh, Tessa Thompson's back as well for this third installment that's going to hit theaters on March 3rd. I love the Creed films. I really, you know, I, I talk about, oh, how do, how do these legacy sequels work? How do you make these sequels? Well, I, you know, Creed is one of the ones that worked. And Creed 2 was really good as well. Even though I felt Creed 2 did linger and and really rely too much on loving Rocky Four, which I enjoy Rocky Four because Rocky Four is one of the fun ridiculous ones in the franchise. Like it's 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 one of the really goofy ones. It's like a Fast and the Furious style film and just the ridiculousness of Rocky versus the USSR and Ivan Drago and the whole if I could change you could change and Rocky ends the Cold War like that film is fun for the absolute bonkersness of what that movie is the Creed films have been really driven in the drama aspect of things like Creed was I I do not know how Michael B. Jordan didn't get nominated for that film I'm still pissed at the Academy for that one to this day it's like Tony Collette with Hereditary I'm still pissed over the snub uh, that those two got for their respected films in those years. But I think this film is going to be fun. It also continues a weird trend of the Creed films featuring Michael B. Jordan, uh, who obviously starred in Black Panther as Killmonger. But in the second one, oh, I forgot the actor's name, but um, uh, who played Drago's son, uh, Ivan's son. But he was in Shang-Chi, And now you have Jonathan Majors, who is the big bad in the upcoming Ant-Man film, was featured in Loki, and uh, he is now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So every Creed film, in a way, has an interesting tie in it, and you know Tessa Thompson as well. So it's very kind of interesting that these Creed films, but also kind of goes to show the power of Marvel these days, of how many good actors these Marvel films have really pulled in and... Uh, good for them. So uh, I'm excited for this. Jonathan Majors looks ripped. I know I thought, I, what did I see? Oh gosh, he put on like something like 20 pounds of muscle for the film. So it shows these two going to battle it out. It's going to be fun. Uh, it's, it's only like a minute trailer. If you haven't seen it, go give it a watch. I think you're going to be pretty hyped on Creed 3 uh, as much as I am. I'm very excited for this film. Next year, March 3rd, 2023 is when it's going to hit theaters. Now, a film that is uh, looking for a spring filming 
is the upcoming sequel, Twisters. Yeah, so this is a sequel to the movie Twister that's going to be titled Twisters. And no word that if the cell was somebody walking into a room and on a board writing Twister and then putting a dollar sign at the end to make the S, which is a very famous story uh, when when they were moving forward with aliens that apparently um, James Cameron walked into the 20th Century Fox studio and wrote alien on a board and then put a dollar sign at the end and was like aliens because it would make money and it did make money. So no word if that's how they sold twisters, but either way, Deadline did report that Universal and Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment are teaming up for the next round of storm chasing action. There's a script that was that came from uh, the writer of The Revenant, and rumor has it the script is so good that Spielberg and Amblin, uh, they flipped out over it to the point that they are trying to fast track this movie. Uh, they want to get Helen Hunt back. I, I saw some of the hints at where this could go is it will follow the child of Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton, who is now out chasing storms because he caught the bug that his parents had. Uh, you know, Bill Paxton, unfortunately, passed away young. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was in the original as well, is no longer with us. So some of the cast of the original no longer here. But Helen Hunt is the big rumor that they want her back for this. But yeah, they, they're hoping to get a spring uh, production underway for this film. I I think that this is a perfect time to revisit the Twister franchise and uh, fingers crossed as well that with Twisters and it being a Universal film that that means at some point down the road we're going to get a new ride at Universal Studios. I know a perfect place in Orlando where they could put that ride. It's where they used to do the Beetlejuice show. Uh, so yeah, I think right over there would be a pretty good spot. It's not like they got anything over there that people really enjoy anyway right now. So that would be a good spot. Um, but yeah, this, this is a film that though, in, in all seriousness, I, I do think this is a good time to revisit this film. Uh, I know when I first saw the news, the first thought I had was, well, wait, wasn't the first film all about getting the Dorothy experiment up and running? Uh, and figuring out what makes up these twisters and stuff like that. So where the hell do you go? Like the first one was just a big disaster movie, a natural disaster film. But I think that there are some cool places where you can go with a sequel because where we are now in society, you know, we are much more well aware of global climate change, uh, the impact of that when it comes to weather and these storms, how intense they are, things like that. So I think there's there are some cool places where this sequel can go that could be really fun uh, as well as, you know, educational by bringing up some some real life issues and situations that we have and things that we need to change about the way we live as a society but at the same time remain true to its core which is a fun disaster film that we have to watch because at the end of the day you know a good action film is is great uh you know a film like that at least uh, those, those i like i like films like the day after tomorrow uh, the day after tomorrow, probably not a great example because it is, you know, a so-so, but that idea of natural disaster films, how do humans adapt to it? What do we do? Stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, Twisters is on the way. 
All right. So now the reason you all are here, uh, now that we've gotten some of the news out of the way, uh, the three news stories that I jotted down for this week, uh, I didn't really want to talk about Chevy Chase stealing Belushi or Belushi stealing Chevy Chase's cocaine and things like that that broke this week. But uh, time to get into it. Let's talk She-Hulk attorney at law before we get into Halloween ends. So this will be non-spoilers for She-Hulk attorney at law. The show has officially run its course on the first season, has come to an end. And my thought is that whether she was fighting bad guys, defending a client, managing her social life and dating life, that this was a really fun, binge-worthy show. This was one of the better Marvel shows that they've done. I liked uh, Tatiana uh, Mas- uh, Maslany as Jennifer Walter, She-Hulk. Uh, I really enjoyed Tim Roth being back. I loved the Wong stuff that happened. Uh, this was a good show. I know if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, you'll see, oh, it's sitting at an 87% amongst critics and 35% amongst the audience, but that's because of the traditional audience bullcrap that's gone into film or films and shows like this, where for whatever reason, the fragile male ego of the online base really cannot handle it at times. And what's really, what's even more amusing about She-Hulk getting so much hate from the trolls online is that these are people that are like, well, I'm a comic book fan and this I, it's just so well crap. Well, if you're a comic book fan, then you would know that She-Hulk has been a freaking comic and everything that was done in that show has been done in the comic. The breaking of the fourth wall is something she's done. The dating around is something that she's done. Everything in that show was exactly like the comic. So no, you're not a comic book fan. Just say what you are, which is that you are someone who doesn't care about any form of a female character. That's what it is. Your characters have to be one-dimensional in one way. They have to be Captain America, but only a specific Captain America. Oh, baby, it cannot be Anthony Mackie or anything like that. That's not Captain America, right? It has to be Iron Man has to be Robert Downey Jr. Like, it can't be Ironheart. How dare we have that coming up in Black Panther 2? Like, these are all things that exist. They're not just creating new superheroes to be like, well, we're trying to be woke. No, they're bringing literal characters that Stan Lee has created, that Marvel created. So if you're one of these people that's trash in the film, is like, oh, we get it. You like She-Hulk. Well, yeah, I did like She-Hulk because She-Hulk was a really freaking good story and actually... Uh, really shows that the people that are trashing it and doing the, oh, we get it, you like She-Hulk, never watched it because the show 100% flips the script on them by showcasing exactly what it is like to be a woman in your 30s single trying to date. Some of the stuff that they did on that show was very, very, uh, you know, for Marvel and for Disney to allow that as well, was very surprising. I was shocked that they went that route. And... I love that they went that route because I love that they were able to bring in the real life of what women have to face in the corporate world of how they are treated if they are single and dating compared to how a man is treated if he is single and dating. So I loved those. I love that aspect of the show. I thought the humor was there. The finale to this show was really funny. 
uh, and really meta and really on point. Uh, I also love the fact, too, that I, I just want to hurt the fragile male ego a little bit more of the people that hate this show. The people that hate this show, uh, it would be good to know that the executive producer and one of the writers of the show, the lead writer, uh, Jessica, uh, oh, I believe her last name is Gao, uh, she is the person that wrote the Rick and Morty Pickle Rick episode. So your favorite episode online trolls of rick and morty you know that show that you think is just all about oh yeah this this is my male show uh yeah your favorite episode with pickle rick was written by the woman that wrote this show and created this show so congratulations on being a moron uh and congratulations now because the next time you watch pickle rick you're going to realize that your favorite episode of that show was written by a woman there you go. So that's my thoughts on She-Hulk Attorney at Law. I know it turned into a little more of a rant. And, and you know, I'm sure if you're listening to this and still at this point, you're not one of those people that was trolling the show or throwing a fit or is pissed that there's representation. Uh, and I did see uh, a fun a fun study was recently done. Uh, streaming services actually have uh, a 50% representation for women in the lead roles uh, compared to uh, the 48% network television has for women in lead roles. But there you go, people. Just more there. There's more fuel to your fire of how oh, dare it not be what I want and me. Um, women exist in the world. People exist. And they get the representation that they deserve in these shows. And yeah, She-Hulk is definitely uh, a fun watch. Also introduces, it sets up some great things as well for the further MCU. So big fan of the She-Hulk show. Uh, I hope there's a season two, but if there isn't, I understand. And I know it will have nothing to do with the trolls, but more to do with where the MCU projects are going to begin with. Because I I think I, I, I don't think I know I read somewhere that Loki wasn't even supposed to have a season two. It only got a season two because they couldn't tell the full story in one season. So they had to split it up into two seasons. Otherwise, Loki would have only been one season of a show. So again, fingers crossed there's a She-Hulk season two. But if there isn't, I get it. And I know it has nothing to do with stupid trolls. All right. With that being said, and you know, Speaking of negativity and stuff like that, it's time to talk a little bit about Halloween Ends. The being touted as the final film in the saga, the final battle between Laurie and Michael, Halloween Ends, is a film that I think has a lot going for it and a lot that works for it. You know, there are some really cool setups in this film. There's some cool places where this goes because, by the way, this is the non-spoiler portion of it. So if you haven't seen the film, do not feel like you need to tune out yet. I'll let you know before we go into the spoiler aspect of things. But I do. I think that I think that at the end of the day, Halloween Ends does have a lot going for it and a lot that works. I can see where people are coming from with some of the negativity. Some other negativity of it, I, I do not get. But I do think that Jamie Lee Curtis delivers one of her best performances as Laurie. I think that the story is very clever. I do think that David Gordon Green and Danny McBride, uh, I've seen people say, did they even have a plan for this? Well, I think they do because Halloween Ends continues down a trend of where the first two films in this new trilogy were leaning into and the things that they were leaning into. Uh, Generational trauma, the trauma on a town. What does events like this do to 
a, a, a small town in rural America? How do they react to it? Stuff like that. So I, I think Halloween ends delivers on some ways. There are some places where, you know, it might fall short for you. But at the end of the day, I did enjoy Halloween ends. I think it is a very good conclusion. And I think that if you enjoyed the 2018 Halloween, uh, Halloween kills last year in 2021, that you will like the conclusion of this trilogy. It is very different, though. I will say whatever film you think you're going in to see, you are not going to get that movie. So that's why I think a lot of the negative negativity of this film comes from is is from the fact that people were sold one thing and expected one thing. And really, it is a completely different film from what you are being told this movie is. So without that kind of being a thing and without people being aware of that, I think that is helping drive some of the unfortunate negative reaction that this film is getting. But overall, I did enjoy Halloween ends and do think uh, you should give it a check out. Now, with that being said, we're going to go and talk spoilers. So this is the point of the show where if you have not seen Halloween end yet and you do not want any spoiler conversation, that you should go ahead and tune out. I will not be upset. I understand. And then you can come back and listen to it afterwards and agree or disagree with me. So with that being said, that's your last warning. Spoilers begin now. So I mentioned that I really like this film and that this film is not the film that you think you are going to see because this film is sold as 45 years culminating in Laurie Strode's last stand against Michael Myers. But really what this film deals with is the idea of, mentioned it a little bit in the non-spoiler, the generational trauma. The first film dealt with Laurie and how she was acting and how recluse she became and how she was training her daughter at a young age and that was then passed on to her her granddaughter and just what can an event like that, what type of PTSD can cause to the family dynamic? Halloween Kills showed us the other aspect of what was happening that Halloween night. So while we followed Lori the first time around, we're now seeing a town that is coming together in a mob mentality. They're wrongly accusing people of things to the point where there is a very graphic suicide sequence in Halloween Kills. Now we fast forward to Halloween Ends. And I love, loved, and this is what works for me, I love the idea that Halloween Ends is more of a character-driven film than a Michael Stalks and Michael Kills film. This is a film that goes into the one year following the events of 2018, the second time Michael came home where... You know, he only killed a a few the first time, but went on a massive killing spree that leaves a lot of the town in shambles. How does that town react? How is that town impacted and affected and infected, I guess is really what we should say. And one year later is where we pick up. We pick up in 2019 and this idea of, well, Michael got away. Nobody knows what Michael's been doing. It's Halloween night. What's going to happen? And there's a beautiful setup in the open of making you think there's going to be a Michael Myers scare and a Michael Myers moment. But instead, what we get is we get newcomer newcomer Corey 
in the babysitting gig, which got to give props to the opening scene as well. The callback to the babysitters watching the spooky movies and they're watching the thing where in 1978, Lori and the kids are watching the Howard uh, Hawks version of the thing. Fast forward to the 2019 Halloween night. They're watching John Carpenter's 80s remake of the thing. I love that little Easter egg right there. Love that. That was one thing that right away I was like, oh my goodness, this is just like watching the original right now. Like we're getting a full blown, we love you original type of moment. But the film opens with an accidental killing of a kid. The babysitter being locked in the attic, kicking the door open, knocking the kid from, I'm going to assume it was like four floors up or something. The house was huge. I couldn't really get a a gauge for it, but knocking him over the railing and he falls to his death as the parents come home from their night out on the town. And that then turns this town into looking at Corey as a murderer as the next murderer like it, it it is a town that is trying to refocus all of their anger of what happened with michael myers to find the next boogeyman because horrible things have happened every year on halloween night so you know we see Corey with the accidental death of a, of a young child which is just one hell of a way to open a film gotta say when you when you are going to kill a kid in the opening of your movie, that is one bold swing, and that's the first of many bold swings this movie makes. But you have that. Then you have Lori doing the voiceover, talking about how how Haddonfield has been infected by this this curse, by this darkness that has seeped into everybody. And you come to find out that there are suicides on Halloween night. There are there are murders that occur that are not Michael Myers related. But just how this evil has seeped in and how it's not Michael, but the evil is taking on different shapes in this town of Haddonfield. And Corey is unfortunately someone who is unable to move forward from what happened that night because the town is so hellbent on not allowing him to move forward beyond that. He's a free man at this point, so you got to imagine what we did not see is that there was an investigation, there was a trial, there was all that stuff, and he was proven innocent. But the townspeople don't care. To them, he's a kid murderer. To them, he is just as evil as Michael Myers. To them, they want to brand him and label him the next boogeyman. They want to make him the embodiment of evil, which is what... Michael Myers is the shape, the embodiment of evil. So this town is really just hellbent on not allowing this young this young man to move forward. And all of that plays into where this film goes with the idea that Corey keeps getting pushed further and further away. And, and the darkness of this town and the darkness that this town has really embraced is seeping into Corey and seeping into him and turning him into what they want, which is to be the next Michael, to be the next killer. So much so to the point where Corey is the one that ends up putting on the Michael mask and taking it from him and and all that. Like, I get that there are moments in this film that, you know, 
I did think that at one point there was going to be when Corey and Michael are having a fight and he takes the mask from him. I really thought that at that moment, like Corey was going to kill Michael Myers and we were just going to fully lean into this is Corey and, and the Michael embodiment has now jumped into Corey fully and he is now the new shape, the new Michael. He's that. It didn't go there. But I liked everything that this film did. I liked that I that supernatural presence of it without ever having to say supernatural presence. There's a moment where Corey uh, lures uh, Allison's ex-boyfriend, who's a cop, into the sewer that he had stumbled upon Michael living in, and Michael let him go. And you could see that there was a weird moment in that, in that where it was like, all right, Michael let him go. Why? Michael must have noticed the evil in him and stuff like that, and all of that. But when he lures him in there and, 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 and sets him up for Michael to kill him, there's a great moment there where you kind of get this supernatural without them ever having to say, Michael Myers is supernatural. And every time he kills somebody, he gets better. Like it was hinted at in Halloween kills when Laurie says, uh, to deputy Frank Hawkins, you know, every time he kills, he becomes more powerful. And you see that in that scene where he takes a stab and there's like a little, convulsing and then he takes another one and, and a little more convulsing and then each stab gets more and more aggressive and the convulsing gets a little less and less and he gets more and more aggressive with it as if to really it is to say hey every time he kills somebody he's gaining more strength and more power and I really dug that I dug that idea of not having to say those things and again, I understand some of the criticism that is coming out of this film. I do think a lot of it is just, you know, the typical, we're going to hate for the sake of hating. But I would get the criticism of the fact of, well, they kind of shelved Michael for a lot of the film. Yeah, but that's where I think it succeeds is they went character driven and a story about generational trauma and what horrors can do to a small community. And Corey was the focal point of that. I understand that you might feel as if, you know, the big fight between Laurie and Michael at the end, you know, might just be something tacked on because it was like, oh, yeah, we got to do that. I don't feel that way. I feel that it was a good progression to get there. And I liked the way that it took to get there. I like the idea that we did follow Corey for, you know, the majority of this film before it gets to the Michael Laurie battle. I love the fact that this film also had had the guts to take the big swing and not just kill Michael but throw him into a freaking uh, like wh what is that like a compost or something like that but actually literally throw him into a machine that just fully regurgitates nothing but pieces of him like I loved that I love that idea of just all right yeah he's really dead like he's dead but really the overall aspect of this film that, I, that, that again, I'm going to mention that I really liked is that idea of this trilogy took the approach with the Halloween franchise of, yes, the traditional Michael slasher thing, but mixed in the supernatural aspect of things that it seemed like in Halloween 4, 5, and 6 that they were just kind of throwing crap against the wall to see what sticks. This took a much more... I think a better approach at that, to, you know, again, showcasing that Michael gains powers through every kill. That's that's fine. You don't have to tell me he's a druid or something like that. Like, OK, we we saw it. He kills. He gains powers. That makes him stronger. 
there's even that part where where when um when Michael and uh, Corey go and they kill the uh, doctor, and uh, I don't even want to call her Allison's friend, but the one that I I looked at my fiance and I right away and I was like, that girl gonna get the promotion. She banging the doctor, and then sure enough, when you see them go off together, I was like, told ya, and she was like, oh yeah, definitely. But even in that scene, when Michael goes to kill her friend. Corey's got the cut on his hand and he takes the bandage off and it appears that his cut is healing through the kills as if he as well is gaining that type of evil, that type of I kill, I can withstand anything. The more I kill, the more indestructible I become. And this town has driven me to become this indestructible force that is going to rain terror upon them. I, yeah, it's it was a bold movie. It took some bold swings. Uh, but again, I really enjoyed this film. I liked the ideas. I liked the concept. I liked how they executed them. I like the idea that, as well, even the last you know part of the movie, when, when Laurie's finishing her book, she talks about how evil just takes on a different shape. That's what this film was all about. And yeah, there, there's a little bit of that, you know, again, to, to kind of harp on like the, I can get some of the criticisms. I could get feeling a little let down at the fact that it's like, okay, if we're going that way, why didn't we just move that way forward with Corey fully and then end it there you know like we take michael out and Corey is now the embodiment of evil and he is just michael moving forward i get that but again they had to get to the big 45 year battle and stuff like that which is why that you know works out that way but there is nothing to say as well that Corey technically isn't is alive somewhere i, I don't recall the film ever actually clarifying that for us we saw Corey, you know die quote unquote but did he become strong enough that he comes back and he is the new Michael or who will don the mask and become the new Michael Myers? So I, I again, this David Gordon Greer green, I don't know why I called him David Gordon Greer, like David Allen Greer. Hey, uh, but David Gordon Green's trilogy really goes into more of the idea of what traumas are left on the people directly involved and the townspeople that either became involved in a way or weren't involved that idea of what the trauma does to everybody when there is an event or something as horrible as that so yeah a lot of bold swings in this trilogy some of it really works well some of it works moderate some of it doesn't work but overall this is a film that i think a lot of the big swings in this one really do work and i've seen people make the compare comparisons and they're correct to jason goes to hell um my buddy zach said it after the film that who saw this film becoming the halloween three of the halloween franchise the new halloween three of the franchise in the sense of it's just so divisive that people are just like nope it's not a michael film but it is a michael film it's it's not the traditional michael film you want and when i did my halloween film rankings at the end that's Partly why I put like Halloween five so closer to the bottom of my rankings because Halloween four has such a great setup at the end and Halloween five completely undoes it. 
and is like, we're kind of kidding about the idea of Jamie taking over, but that's really what this felt like, was that idea of somebody has a connection with Michael to the point where Michael, yeah, is going to end up killing that person because it's Michael Myers, but that person very easily could become and start being the next Michael Myers because that's what evil is. Evil isn't one person. Evil is everybody in that town and everybody that's that, you know, the person that stopped Lori and started screaming at her in the shopping, uh, the shopping mall, um, the, the grocery store shopping mall, the grocery store uh, parking lot. All of those people. That's where, you know, that's what makes this film work for me. I really like it. Uh, and again, you know, I, I think that I think that uh, this trilogy also did a very good job at hat tipping a lot of the things. I know they said it was only a direct sequel to the original one, but there have been so many callbacks and references and little hints to the other films that that's again that's what i got i got a little bit of halloween four in this one and it wouldn't have surprised me as well in this one if they had made allison uh, a killer with with Corey, and i would have welcomed that as well and for a time i did think we were going to go that way for a time i thought that the two of them were going to become the next embodiment of evil and michael through their traumas and through what their shared experience traumas and stuff like that uh but before i wrap it up i do want to uh make reference that uh, I think this film does a wonderful job with the radio representation. I love a horror movie that has radio in it as a radio personality myself, and I really enjoyed it. And the fact that the call letters were 94.9 definitely hit home for me as somebody that, before the job I got, worked at a radio station that was 94.9 on the dial. So the fact that those dial numbers were the same as a station I worked for, I didn't even hear whatever the station was. They called it in the movie. I just kept hearing the call of my old station where I was like, 94.9, the points. More music. Uh, so, loved that. I loved Darcy the Mail Girl. Uh, Diana Prince popping up as the receptionist. Uh, my only issue with the radio scene to be, to put on my radio, uh, my radio headphones for a second and my radio nerd them for a second. Uh, the time of the night that uh, Corey shows up there at the radio station, the front door would not be unlocked like that, even if there were employees inside, because that late at night is not business hours. So even if Darcy the mail girl was there doing receptionist work late at night, the front door would be 100% locked. Now, to counter that, there are some times as well where, uh, and, and it has happened at some of the stations I've worked at, where people have forgotten to lock the front door at the end of the night and you are in there after hours when nobody's supposed to be in there and somebody just walks into the building and you're like, oh, shh. That is terrifying when you work in radio, no matter how many people are still in the building at the time. It is uh, terrifying to just see some random person walking through your building. Uh but yeah, over, really, the majority of that, the overall of that, he, the front door wouldn't be unlocked and it wouldn't have been that easy for him to walk in. But I love the radio DJ's death. I love his his tongue being uh, cut out. That was just, that made me smile from ear to ear. Uh, even Darcy's death, I was like, man, the radio, the radio station deaths rock. Favorite aspect of this movie, 100%. 
Uh, so yeah, big thumbs up to that. And uh, and I did just rewatch as well, uh, Rob Zombie's uh, The Lords of Salem, and that's a great radio horror movie as well. If you're looking for something to watch for the Halloween spooky season, but uh, yeah, there it is. The Halloween ends. Uh, that is my spoiler talk on that. Again, you can go catch uh, Zach and Brooks full spoiler thoughts on our YouTube Throw Me Podcast Network. You can catch Rob's thoughts on the film as well on the Review at Rob Show, all a part of the Throw Me Podcast Network. And uh, Metal Groove has a new show out as well uh, as they talk. As they talk, I should say, as Josh talks. The top five grunge bands. Uh, also, I mentioned that Haunters Podcast episode is out. Big episode ranking all of the houses at Halloween Horror Nights. And there will be a new episode of Improper Guidance coming out tomorrow with Zach. So thanks, everybody. Uh, and until next week, peace and love.